Welcome to episode four of Recreational Thinking with Yogesh Routh. Our guests are Jason Meyerowitz, Michael Sturm, yes. and uh, Andy Greeley. So we'll start, if you could each go and uh, just briefly say one sentence who you are and where you're from or about yourself, and start with uh, Jason. Hi, I'm Jason Meyerowitz. I live in Phoenix. I'm a professor by day, and I like quizzing and trivia and all kinds of fun games. Hi, I'm Michael Sturm. I'm uh, 39 from Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm a paralegal during the day and poker player and gambler by night. Nice. I'm Andy Greeley. I'm kind of a nobody, but I love quizzing, and I'm from Seattle, Washington, and I'm 40, so here we go. So a game is in four rounds, the first uh, individual and the other three specialists, and I'll explain how the specialist rounds work at the end of this one. The first round I call the three R's round. It allows me to reduce, reuse, and recycle questions that I've written before. Um, <laughs> this mostly works as a warm-up, but also in case we need tiebreakers, each of these questions are going to be worth a tenth of a point. So there's going to be nine questions, and you'll answer as individuals, but we'll rotate so each of you gets first crack at three of them, second crack at three of them, and third at three of them. So basically, if the person before you misses, you'll get a chance to answer. The further back you are in the rotation, the less of a direct shot you have at the question, but the more potential answers are off the table and the more processing time you'll have. So first question starts with Jason. Start with a uh, question with a local connection. The 1992 men's Olympic basketball dream team made their international debut at the 1992 Tournament of the Americas here in Portland. Which member of that squad had also represented the U.S. in the previous Olympics? Okay, uh, Olympics definitely not a strength for me. 92, so it seems unlikely that it would be Michael Jordan in the previous Olympics at that point. So who would potentially have been around a little bit longer than that? Let's try Hakeem Olajuwon. Right, Hakeem Olajuwon, good guess, but uh, not correct. Michael? Okay, not my area of expertise, so this is a total guess, but I'm going to say Larry Bird. Right, another good guess, also a member of the Dream Team, but not the one we're looking for. Andy, I, I'm I'm going to go with Michael Jordan. I mean, why not? He was around. He, you know, started playing in '85, so why not? Right. So the answer to why not, of course, is that in '92 was the first year that professional players were allowed. So before that, only amateurs were. So anyone who was a professional in 1988 wouldn't have been eligible for the team. Mm. So the college player who did play on it um, and then had become a superstar by '92 was called the Admiral. He played for Navy. David Robinson. I had nine more guesses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question two, we'll start with Michael. Joseph Kahn, who has directed nearly 200 music videos, eight for Taylor Swift, and three feature films, including 2011's Detention, which I consider one of the best comedies of the past decade, immigrated to the U.S. with his family at age seven. From which country? Okay. Again, total guess, but I'm going to say Pakistan. All right. Good guess, but not correct. Andy? Um... The United Kingdom. Again, good guess. Not correct. Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I know there's a lot of people who are very big in music right now from Albania, so I'll go ahead and try that. Yeah, so his last name is kind of an anglicized one, so it's a little misleading because, well, Khan spelled slightly differently is a common Muslim name. Kahan, the way he spells it, is much more associated with being Jewish. But in fact, I think it's an anglicization of An, his family's original surname, which is a common Korean name. Oh, um, Actually, actually from South Korea. Uh, the next one starts with Andy. Although it was written by members of the American band Edna Swap and popularized by Australian Natalie Imbruglia, the first commercially released recording of Torn was in what language? 
Hmm. Um. Let's go with Spanish. I'm not sure. All right. Good guess. Uh, not right, Jason. Huh. Guess me who sang "Torn." I could have gotten you there, but uh, let's see. First language for "Torn." Uh, your questions like to have a little bit of a twist to them, so I'm going to throw out something that seems unlikely. Let's try Turkish. All right. Good guess. Not correct. I'm going to go with uh, Romania. <laughs> You're all in Europe, but not quite the right part of Europe. But, and- <laughs> Even though it was originally written in English, it was originally performed in Danish translation under the title Brandt by Lise Sorensen. Then we start with Jason again. In the opening credits of the 1999 Friends episode, The One After Vegas, all cast and crew members are listed as having what's surname? Oh, how interesting. The One After Vegas. Okay, so they go to Vegas. Joey gets the job as the hand model. What surname would they all have that would make sense in that particular episode? Why don't I know? This This is in my area, so I feel like I should know this, but for whatever reason, I do not. Surname that they would all have in Vegas. Uh, I'll go with the, the, the obvious and say Kaufman. All right, uh, not correct, Michael. Uh, this is one I don't remember, but since everyone basically ends up getting married to Ross, I'm going to go with Geller. <laughs> All right, good guess. Uh, Andy? Oh, yeah. So TV is not my is not my category at all. Let's go with Smith. That's all I have. All right. So the uh, twist here was that this was the first episode that aired after Courtney Cox started being billed as Courtney Cox. Arquette. So as a joke for that episode, all of cast and crew members were listed with the surname Arquette. Oh, wow. I should have had that. Damn. So starting with Michael. Right. Hayao Miyazaki's first job as an animator came on a 1963 film known in English as Watchdog Bow Wow that adapted what classic Japanese story by turning the major characters into dogs? Wow. Um, I'll say the Seven Samurai. All right, good guess. Andy? I'll go with Rashomon. Uh, Jason? A classic Japanese story. I gotta try The Tale of Genji. Yeah, those are all classic Japanese stories, but um, <laughs> this one is, if in Japanese culture has a special status as, as speaking about the culture. In Japan, it's called Chushingura. In uh, English, it's generally called the 47 Ronin. Mm. which has been adapted into many, I think the very first ever Japanese film was an adaptation of it, and there have been many more recent ones, including one with Keanu Reeves a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So, okay, in the last episode, we had a question about Jesse Buckley from Chernobyl. Here's another Jesse Buckley question. She closes out the 2019 musical drama Wild Rose with the song Glasgow, No Place Like Home, a nostalgic ballad which was penned by which Oscar-winning actress? Incredibly, this woman had little interest in music until waking up from surgery in 2007 with what's called sudden onset musicophilia, and she has since taken up songwriting professionally. Wow. Oh, oh gosh. I, I, um, oh, Glasgow, no place like home. Um, ah, you know, I, I wish I saw Wild Rose. Uh, gosh, um, Natalie Imbruglia. Let's go. <laughs> See, that, that's my nut. <laughs> that's all I have. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure she's an Oscar winner. No, <laughs> Jason? The first Scottish actress who comes to mind who has been doing something in the vocal arts is Karen Gillam. All right, mm-hmm. also uh, not an Oscar winner. Uh, uh, good, good point. <laughs> no clue on this one, so I'm just going to say Queen Bay Beyonce because <laughs> she could do anything. <laughs> Even be Scottish. Yeah, yeah even be Scottish. I think she had some interest in music before 2007. <laughs> vaguely remember. <laughs> um, 
yeah, the Glasgow title is a bit of a red herring. There aren't many, too many clues to lead you there unless you heard the story, which is kind of incredible, though, just from a medical perspective. She actually won the Oscar way back in 1980, or 1981, technically. But her name is Mary Steenburgen. Oh, I didn't know she Interesting. Interesting. Sticking, actually, yeah, the next, well, the remaining three questions are also all pop culture. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> start with Jason for this next one. Which American actor and blacklist victim is commemorated as a visionary by a blue plaque outside of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London? Mm. His daughter, also a noted actor, was probably the only U.S.-born U.S. citizen to portray a Hogwarts instructor in the original Harry Potter series. Uh, what American played a Hogwarts instructor? I can't think of any Americans who played Hogwarts instructors, so this must have been a, a bit of a bit part. Uh, I, I'm nothing's coming to mind. If I had more time, I might be able to reflect on it, but I'm I'm just gonna pass. All right, I totally incorrect guess, but I'll say Anna Faris. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy. You know, I'm just gonna throw out Jack Nicholson. I got nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing, so. All right, so this is an interesting story. The uh, the restoration of Shakespeare's Globe, basically built from the ground up, was spearheaded by Sam Wanamaker after he was blacklisted in the U.S. People responded in different ways. He responded by going abroad and essentially putting his effort into the British theater scene. His daughter was actually born in the U.S. Her name is Zoe Wanamaker. She's become fairly well-known in British TV and theater, starred on a very popular British sitcom called My Family, and was in the original Prime Suspect and a bunch of other things. And it's not that well-known that she was born in the U.S. and still retains U.S. citizenship. Fairly late in life, she took dual citizenship, U.S.-U.K., but she's always been a U.S. citizen. And in the very first Harry Potter movie, The Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, she played Madame Hooch a flying instructor uh, wow. wow yeah deep cut <laughs> <laughs> all right eye of the devil don't make waves and 12 plus one also known as the 13 shares are three of the only six films that which actress starred in during her brief career mm, absolutely no clue on this one. i'm gonna have to pass all right. not even a guess Marilyn monroe and jason brief career let's try Brittany murphy Perhaps even a briefer career than that. So those were three, probably the three more obscure of the films, uh, <laughs> although I've seen one of them. The 13 Chairs, it's actually an adaptation of a famous Russian novel called The 12 Chairs, which has been adapted in like a dozen different languages and many different parts of the world. And it's actually, I mean, it's, I don't think it's commercially available. I think I found her on YouTube once. It's actually kind of funny. But her more famous films she was in were Valley of the Dolls, The Wrecking Crew, the Matt Helm movie seen in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and The Fearless Vampire Killer or pardon me, but your teeth are in my neck, which was directed by her husband, Roman Polanski. And her name was Sharon Tate. Ah. All right. And uh, this was intended to be the hardest one of this round. Um, (laughs) 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 Right, bring it. (laughs) All right. Two of Mad TV's three Emmy nominations in the Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics category came for the exquisitely dark parodies A Wonderfully Normal Day and Merry Xmas, which I post on YouTube every Christmas. Both of them were performed by what incredibly talented cast member, maybe too talented for Mad TV, also known for portraying Elphaba in the Broadway and touring productions of Wicked. Now, oh. straight off, it's not Adina Menzel. Ah, <laughs> ah. Oh. Oh. I, I cannot think of a single cast member of Mad TV besides Will Sasso, but that's not the obvious. That's obviously not the answer. Uh, oh, pass. I'm so sorry. 
<laughs> uh, not your fault, yeah. <laughs> I can think of several members of, of Mad TV. Uh, I, I wish I could think of that particular clip, or at the very least, the touring company of Wicked. I'm, I'm going to go with Alex Bornstein. I think her name is Borstein. Borstein, yeah, Alex Borstein. It's also a good guess, but not correct. Uh, let's go with Mo Collins. Also a, a talented member, but the one with the, the really beautiful singing voice, her name is Nicole Parker. Uh, <laughs> still tied at the end of that round, uh, zero, zero, zero. <laughs> <laughs> so the next three rounds are supposed to progress from easier to harder, although my calibration has been a bit off in past episodes. I'm still learning that. <laughs> So in each round, each of you will get three specialist questions related to your category. They're related. They're not intended to be a fair or comprehensive test of your knowledge of them. They may relate directly or obliquely to the category. Your categories won't be evenly sampled. And to keep everyone on their toes, I won't reveal the categories, although you know those of you who communicated beforehand will have some knowledge of each other's. So the twist of this round is before you can answer the specialist question targeted at you, your two opponents get to work together to try and steal the points, basically. <laughs> Uh, yeah, to, to work together to give, they can give one answer, but they can confer on it. And you'll only get a chance to answer if your opponents miss. I won't always tell you if your opponents are correct or not, especially, you know, later rounds to build suspense. But if I pass the question over to you, it's it's in your interest to give a different answer than what they gave. Because, well, if they're wrong, you'll just be copying the wrong answer. If they're right, you won't get any points. And starting with the last episode, I added in another wrinkle. People kind of had a negative affective reaction to being stolen from and not getting able to show up. <laughs> their knowledge so for some, for some questions if your question does get stolen i will have a follow-up bonus question that's related usually in the same category sometimes a little uh, tangential but you'll be able to you'll get a chance to answer it for half as many points as the steel is worth so in this round again these are supposed to be the easier or the not all that hard questions so they'll be worth two points as a steel and one point as a specialist those values will go up in later rounds and the two points will go to both stealers in full even if only one of them knows the answer hmm. so the first question goes first to michael and andy trying to steal from jason all right so Proving that two great fads don't always go great together, Menudo performed the theme song for a short-lived 1983 animated TV series in which the Rodriguez children got into and out of wacky misadventures with the help of a magical version of what? Wow. Uh, Michael, I have no idea. I'm so sorry. Do you have any clues here? I, nah, I have no idea as well. So you can take a total guess if you want. Um, a magical version of an ice cream cone. There we go. All right, Jason. Yikes! I feel like I'm I'm off my game today. 83 Rodriguez. You wouldn't find too many Mexican names that early in the 80s. So I can't think. I got into trouble with a magical version of a ring. So they started with saying, you know, two great fads. So Menudo was a, a boy band basically at sure. that time, who was one fad. So uh, I was trying to get you basically to match it with another fad from that era. In this case, the, the magical object that helped them was called Rubik, the Amazing Cube. It was a Rubik's Cube. Oh, I, wow. I have never heard of that, but that's awesome. It's a talking Rubik's Cube. That is pretty awesome. To research this, I went to IMDb, and for the show, the show was very short-lived, but it's IMDb trivia, and literally said, this show exists to punish humanity for its sins. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, so the next one goes to first to Jason and Andy trying to steal from Michael. All 
right. Bechamel, Espanol, uh, Velouté, and Tomate are defined as four of the five mother sauces in which celebrated chefs Le Guide Culinaire. Uh, is that Escoffier? I think. That sounds like more knowledge than I have. I was, you know, just <laughs> about any, any, uh, yeah, any Italian sounds good to me. Let's right, go so with that. All right, you're locking in Escoffier? Escoffier, yep. Yeah. Correct. That's the first correct answer. Nice one, Andy. I was just reading about mother sauces last night. It's so weird. So that's that's whatever works. This question did, does have an associated bonus, which I'll give to Michael. So I mentioned bechamel, espanol, velute, and tomate. Which sauce did I leave out? Let's go with a hollandaise sauce. Favorite of anyone who likes eggs benedict, hollandaise is the fifth <laughs> So everyone has a correct answer now. The next one goes to Jason and Michael trying to steal from Andy. The Seattle Mariners were established in 1977 after the Seattle Pilots packed up in 1970 and became what Midwestern American League team? Well, Midwestern American League. Uh, let's see. I have no clue, but let's say like Minnesota, like Midwestern, maybe. The Twins are... Detroit Tigers. I'm like, well, I would think the Twins would have, because <laughs> it has Twins in the name, but so you'd think it would have more of a Minnesota original name to it. But Twins. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, Tigers make sense, or uh, or Royals, or Cardinals. Yeah. Okay, so you pick one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why don't we try the Kansas City Royals? That is a Midwestern American League team, but not the one we're looking for. Andy? Yeah, so this is so they're a National League team now. It's the Milwaukee Brewers. Right. They uh they Got were it. they became an they American They were Yale. Yeah, they were Yale. Yes, they won their only uh league championship in 1982 in the American League, but uh, in 1998 I think they switched to the National League and in the past couple of years they've made the playoffs, but they have never gotten another pennant and like the Mariners have never won a World Series. <laughs> yep. Ah, poor Mariners. Ah. All right. And now Michael and Andy trying to steal from Jason. Susanna and the Elders, an apocryphal addition to the Book of Daniel, is sometimes described as the first detective story. It's a vignette in which two lustful older men attempt to blackmail Susanna into having sex with them by threatening to falsely accuse her of being promiscuous with a young man in her garden. She refuses to give in and is about to be put to death because of their perjury when Daniel intervenes. How does he prove that the Elders are lying? Oof. Oh my uh, goodness. I have no idea. <laughs> Uh, um, I, I don't, I have no idea. Wow. I'm sorry. Go with uh, putting her in a bathtub of water to see if she is. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, unsurprisingly, that's uh, not correct. Jason? Ha, uh, so normally uh, proof of adultery is uh, requires drinking certain uh, liquid to see if the person explodes. Um, I'm trying to think if that's what Daniel did or if there's something else there that I'm missing. He, he could have simply asked for a, a call out from the heavens or it could be something funny that involves what the two men were doing at the time. Let's go ahead and try. He had her drink liquid and not explode. <laughs> <laughs> you all went with kind of like um, irrational uh, ways of <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this is, you know, and, and granted, you know, we've, we've moved a bit backward in terms of logical, critical thinking since then, perhaps. But as I said, this is often considered the first detective story because it is uh, one of the first examples of kind of a, a realistic and, and making sense way of, of unraveling the mystery. And I would have accepted any kind of like general description of the technique because it's shown up in many, many stories in, in a various form since then. But basically, there were two witnesses. He had them split apart and asked them details of the story. Mm. They each gave a different answer to the question of which tree Susanna had been supposedly uh, meeting this man under. So he was able to show they were lying through the contradiction. Wow. All right. This one goes to, okay, to Jason and Andy trying to steal from Michael. Season two of Hulu's Castle Rock co-stars Lizzie Kaplan as what character created by Stephen King? Is this uh, Misery? Oh, no, no, no. What's her name? Ah, oh, what's her name? No. So I, I, I think that's the novel she's in, but I can't remember the uh, actress's, I can't remember the character's name. I, I haven't seen the show or watched or read the book. Oh, so. man. Um, I love Lizzie Kaplan. Oh, my God. Ah! Oh. Shoot. Yeah, gosh, I can't. Oh, I'm ticked. I can't remember the name. Yeah, I think Kath, you know, the Kathy Bates later in the movie oh, uh, annie yeah annie yes there we go there we go that one annie annie right. <laughs> so I, as I, the precedent established in previous episodes for fictional characters i oh. will usually accept a first name although for real people generally the last name is needed so i will accept annie for annie wilkes annie Sorry. Wilkes. yeah <laughs> 10 more minutes i had to come up with wilkes but <laughs> fortunately it's fictional <laughs> All right, and uh, I'll give this bonus to Michael. Um, so season one of that show, Castle Rock, featured Jane Levy, formerly of uh, Suburgatory and various other things, as the niece of which Stephen King protagonist. Um, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to guess, so I'm just going to pass it. So uh, she plays the niece of Jack Torrance from the show. Oh. So two points to uh, Jason and Andy. And the next one goes to Jason and Michael trying to steal from Andy. Appropriately, Rebecca Black, along with many other celebrities, co-stars with Katy Perry in the video for which song? Oh, so that's TGIF. So the full title is Last Friday Night, parentheses TGIF. But uh, yeah, I'll accept that. I'll I'll give Andy a quick bonus. Can you name either of the 1980s icons who play Katy Perry's parents in that video? I, I cannot. I, I cannot name either of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't even want to throw a guess out. I'm sorry. Right, uh, Molly Ringwald was... No? no I'm no, totally misremembering that. No, it was Probably not. Would. Yeah, that makes this 80s icon. No, no, I, I believe her mother was uh, Debbie Gibson. Oh, okay. And uh, her father, uh, Corey Feldman. Oh, wow. What am I thinking of her? Uh, that doesn't matter. You must have trumped it up. I <laughs> must have. <laughs> All right. So this goes to, okay, so that was two points for Jason and Michael. And now Michael and Andy trying to steal from Jason. All four canonical gospels contain an account of how Jesus was asked to name the greatest law and responded with some version of what Christians now call the great commandment, which is basically to love God and to love one's neighbor. So this twofold response from Jesus was essentially a synthesis or restatement of two separate scriptural statements that were originally laid down in which two Old Testament books? Wow. Uh, any ideas? <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, no, no clue on the... I mean, I could... I mean, Genesis. I don't know. Just name a... Well, which two Old Testament books? So, yeah, basically one contained, you know, the commandment to love well, God and one to love one's neighbor as oneself. I mean... Ooh. No, not... Gen- let's say Leviticus and Numbers. Why not? 
Okay, sure. locking in Leviticus and Numbers. Yeah, are we okay? Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, why not? All right, Jason. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but the two books that generally have the rules in them are Exodus and Deuteronomy. Ah, oh, Deuteronomy. Yeah, if you if you combine your answers, right? Because <laughs> yeah, Exodus is basically yeah, Genesis is the beginning. Exodus is kind of the story of the traveling. Numbers is basically a census, right? So of the books of the Torah, two that really concentrate on telling people how to live and what laws they should follow are Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Ah, so each of you, yeah, each of you have one of those. Deuteronomy has a lot of very uh, narrowly tailored laws. For instance, Deuteronomy 25, 11, 12 describes specifically how to handle the situation in which two men are fighting and the wife of one of them intervenes by grabbing the, in the King James Version, the secrets of her husband's <laughs> opponent. <laughs> Yes, and according to the Old Testament, in that very specific situation, you must cut off her hand and you may show her no mercy. Oh, wow. That I did know. <laughs> Smash the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then easier one to Jason and Andy, now trying to steal from Michael. What adjective said to derive from the influence of Catherine de' Medici generally signals that a dish contains spinach? Uh, Florentine? Um, I would say yes, absolutely. Florentine. All right, Florentine, yes. The Medici. Yeah, Medici is from Florence. Mm-hmm. Okay, a bonus for Michael. So, Catherine de' Medici's impact on French cuisine was due to her marriage to which French king, whose life was famously ended by an accident during a jousting tournament? Mm. Say, Philip II. This isn't going to be passed over to anyone officially. There's no points, but do either of you know it? Don't remember. Um, uh, My quiz is I knew it. <laughs> Philip the Fair? I don't know. It was uh, Henri II. <sighs> Did know that. All right. And now, okay, Jason and Michael trying to steal from Andy. Which world capital is, according to 2011 census figures, the 183rd most populous city in its nation? Uh, oy, there's, okay, so what is going to have a lot, uh, it's going to have a super tiny world capital uh, compared to anywhere else? Um, in its nation. In its nation, so it's got to have a lot of cities. Okay, so uh, what what what's broken up into lots and lots of different parts? You've got like Tonga or um or Solomon Islands. I don't I don't know something that is going to have lots of components to it. Is it not a major? If you can think of something. So it wouldn't be like India, huge landmass, or Russia. No, because New Delhi is is, is, is big. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be somewhere where the capital is such an insignificant component of it. Uh, but it also has to be somewhere that has 183 uh, major cities. <laughs> so Palakir? Sure, we'll try Palakir. Palakir, all right. Andy? And so, so what's the city or the country? I'm so sorry. The world capital, so the city. Yeah. Okay, let's go with Bern, Switzerland. All right, so There's only 26 cantons. Yeah. So it's a, to get yeah. to uh, 182 larger cities, you need basically a very large population overall. And if a, a small island one wasn't really the right track to take. I see. So I guess um, something that a lot of people don't realize is that New Delhi was actually a planned city created in the early 20th century. It's actually much smaller than the city of Delhi, which is much older <sighs> and basically surrounds it. And Delhi is one of the most popular cities in India. New Delhi actually has a much smaller population. And so that's pretty much the... Well, there are only a couple countries that have enough enough people to have 182 more populous cities than their capital. <laughs> 
Did come, like, sorry. Uh, India is the country, and uh, New Delhi is the capital. And so at the end of that round, I believe I've been keeping a very rough score, because I, I, I don't have my laptop, because part of our contestants are live for the first time. But I believe we have Jason, 8.0, Andy, 7.0, and Michael, 3.0. That is dumb luck, if ever there were any. <laughs> so these next questions are... All right, next questions are a step up in difficulty, so they are now going to be worth uh, four points for steel, three points for a specialist question, and two points for a bonus. So this first one goes to Michael and Andy, trying to steal from Jason. Ruth 116, which the NIV translation renders as, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Is suggested by Wikipedia and a few other sources as the inspiration for Where You Lead, a track from Carol King's Tapestry, later re-recorded by King to serve as the theme for what TV series? Wow. What, what, what was the song again? What was the title again? Where You Lead. Where You Lead. Yeah, you know, I, like this would be a total guess, but my, my first thought would be The Golden Girls. I will take it, yes. Let's go with that. Let's lock it in. All right. The, uh, that theme is famously, uh, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Andrew Gold, who is the son of the composer Ernest Gold and uh, Marnie Nixon, the singing voice of so many uh, 60s musical leading ladies. So, yeah, that's uh, not correct. Uh, Jason? Uh, you guess I am perennially impressed by your knowledge and your question writing, but uh, right. where you lead, I'm trying to think that the, 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 the show that would fit that would be perfect strangers i'm trying to remember if there if there's any indication in that theme song i'm just singing it in my head standing (laughs) that doesn't sound very carol king but i'm trying to think of anything that would indicate otherwise if there's another show that's about someone just sort of blindly following someone else or wanting to convert as we did to be a be of someone's ilk Another show isn't immediately coming to mind, so I will stick with my first instinct. Uh, even though it garnered laughs and is likely incorrect, I'd go with Perfect Strangers. This, yeah, this question tied together two of your characters. Yeah, no, it's a brilliant question. <laughs> so the main relationship in the Book of Ruth, right, between um, Ruth and her, well, her mother-in-law, mother-in-law, right, but it's it's kind of a very strong maternal bond. On Tapestry, Carol King actually sang the song. It was intended to be about a man. Her, her views kind of evolved since then and, and became a bit more feminist. She re-recorded it for this show with her daughter, Louise Goffin, as more of a testament to mother-daughter love rather than a kind of romantic one. And the show that uh, really foregrounded a mother-daughter bond is not Golden Girls, although there is a mother-daughter bond in that. It's a very similarly titled Gilmore Girls. No way. Oh, how neat. That's very cool. All right, Jason and Andy trying to steal from Michael. This question will call back to a previous episode. So, in the majority opinion in 1965's Griswold v. Connecticut, William O. Douglas argued that the right to privacy, though not explicitly enumerated in the Constitution, can be inferred from the implications of the First, Third, Fourth, Fifth, and Ninth Amendments. By what one word, which I mentioned in the first post-pilot episode while discussing this topic, is that doctrine known? Wait, is it penumbra? Because I, 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 because I, I think I think yes I, I have a I, I think so I like it sounds good yeah. to me I believe that is correct yeah, <laughs> yeah. the inferred because of the implication as Dennis from Always Sunny would say. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yes, this is called the Penumbra Doctrine. All right, so now uh, Jason and Michael trying to steal from Andy. On September 21st, 2014, which national capital was taken over by Houthi rebels? H-O-U-T-H-I. Okay, if, if, if they're in Yemen, then yeah, that makes um, sense. Sounds good to me. We'll okay, try Sana. Sana. Yeah, it's okay to talk more loudly during your uh, conferring. Oh, oh sorry. We <laughs> <laughs> don't want Andy this hearing is... us all the way in right. Washington. <laughs> I'll, mute, I'll mute it, guys. I'll mute it. It's fine. No. Uh, yeah, that sounds good to, to us. We'll go with Sana. All right, and that is the correct answer. Sana still held in Yemen by the Houthi rebels. So that's four points for uh, Jason and Michael. And now Michael and Andy are trying to steal from Jason. The Lutlul Bel Nemeki, also known as the Poem of the Righteous Sufferer or Babylonian Job, predates the Book of Job by approximately a millennium, but has a remarkably similar plot. Specifically, the narrator laments all the ways in which he has suffered despite being a faithful follower of which chief Babylonian deity? Uh, I've got nothing. Babylonian deities? You have any idea? I'm sorry. I have no guess, Andy. Yeah, yeah um... Mm, uh, let's see let's see uh ball that's not it that's not even babylonian but i have nothing else you're locking in ball sure all right good guess but uh, not correct i also was leaning towards ball so that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> let's see you've got the the guy with the horns whose name starts with m uh molikar is that what you're locking in? Or? Sure. All right. You might be thinking of the right one, but that's not the right name. Did that jar anything loose, Andy? Was it Moloch? Not quite. Uh, Marduk. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah. Oh, well. All right. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Old age taking its toll. But yeah, in, in <laughs> one of those ones that if you had choices, it'd be like, yes, I know that right away. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, Jason and Andy trying to steal from Michael. All right. Right. Jimmy Smith previously played a lawyer on NBC on L.A. Law for several years, and also a short-lived 2010 series called Outlaw, mm-hmm. on which currently airing NBC series set in Memphis, does he yet again play a lawyer? Oh, what's this, uh, Bluff City Law or something like that? Ah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is like a Bluff City, I think it's Bl- Bluff City. I you know, I have... I have not seen a single episode of this yet, but it is I, on I've my seen watch list. Seen like that, yeah. I, I believe you are 100% correct there. Sadly, Bluff. they are correct. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Bluff City is uh, the nickname for Memphis. Okay, then. Just talked about it this yeah. morning. Yeah. All right, so then you're you're well equipped to uh, to handle the bonus then. Uh, so. <laughs> The main female star of Bluff City Law is a woman who, despite having the lead role in a primetime network drama series, doesn't even have her own Wikipedia page. So that's how non-famous she is, but can you name her? Wow. Uh, and I'll give, I'll give you a, a, a Simpsons-based hint. Uh, she shares her surname with the name on the fake ID Homer Simpson reminisces about in the song, It Was a Very Good Beer. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Ashley Plow. Right. Totally wrong. Yeah, not correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, remember that Simpsons scene? He uh, used a fake ID. His name was Brian McGee. This woman's name is Caitlin McGee. Well, it's a surprised she doesn't have her own Wikipedia article, but I guess it's a big break for her. So you write that up. 
Make make that up, Yovish. That's true, yeah. That's an opening for me. All right. Jason and Michael now trying to steal from Andy. So Ken Griffey Jr. was born in Donora, Pennsylvania on November 21st, 1969. What other member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame was also born in Donora exactly 49 years earlier on November 21st, 1920? Wow. I'm guessing it's not Ken Griffey Sr. <laughs> nah, well, she's probably not. Maybe... Ken Griffey, senior senior. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Griffey, the negative one, negative yeah. first. Uh, uh, I, I really don't this know. This would be a total guess. Even your guess is better than anything I've got for this one. I mean, I'd go with an old-timey player, like, I don't know. Maybe, not, maybe it wouldn't be Mickey Mantle, let's do that. I, I would have no clue. Throw something out there. Uh, let's go with uh, maybe Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb, I believe, was born in the 1880s. Yeah. <laughs> was uh, quite a bit older than uh, the questions looking for. But, uh, I have Junior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he was famously from Georgia. His nickname yeah. was a Georgia Peach. And he's very uh, not suited to his personality. All right, Andy? So I think this is, oh, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's Stan Musial. So Ken Griffey Jr., his nickname in his playing days was The Kid. Stan Musial's was nickname the was The Man. Yet another way in which they're tied together in addition to having the same birthday. And Good get. Not a... Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. All right. This next one goes to Michael and Andy trying to steal from Jason. Among the characters that the versatile and talented Anne Dudek has played in her career are Precious, the girlfriend dumped by Mike for Phoebe on Friends, and Natalie, dumped twice by Ted Mosby on How I Met Your Mother. What do all three of those jiltings have in common? Um, was done by text or something? I have no, I, I have no clue. Wow. I'm guessing it's not lying about moving to Yemen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I have no clue on that. Um, wow. Sandy, I have no guess. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's uh, dumped by text. I, I don't know. That's all I have to say. And that's, yeah, that's not even it. But why not? Sure. All right, locking in dump by text. Jason? Can you repeat that? I feel like there's something in there I'm missing. All right, okay. Among the characters that the versatile and talented Anne Dudek has played in her career are Precious, the girlfriend dumped by Mike for PB on Friends, and Natalie, dumped twice by Ted Mosby on How I Met Your Mother. What do all three of those jiltings have in common? <sighs> okay, I'm thinking. So, do you remember Mike leaving Precious? Was it that they were engaged at the time? That's what a lot. Yeah, you are you are thinking like uh, like sitcom writers, which was the right path in terms of what would be especially uh, humiliating way to be done. <laughs> so there, there's I think a cracked article on people who are, are typecast in very niche ways. And Dudek on Friends was dumped by Paul Rudd's character on her character's birthday, only mm. to talk on How I Met Your Mother as Natalie, who was dumped twice by Ted Mosby, both times on her birthday. Oh, <laughs> Awful. <laughs> All right. Next one goes to Jason and Andy, again trying to steal from Michael. A 2009 The Oregonian article titled Push to Name a State Berry Starts Rhubarb describes how farmer Larry uh, Duke, or Duke, not a woman smoking crack cocaine in a hotel room, successfully derailed the campaign to have what locally grown cultivar named Oregon's official state berry. Uh, 
I don't know. Could, enough, you, enough could you repeat the question? I'm, I'm so sorry. Sure. A 2009 article in the Oregonian titled, quote, Push to name a state berry starts rhubarb, wordplay there, uh, right. describes how farmer Larry Duke or Larry Duyck, D-U-Y-C-K, that's not an important name. Uh, <laughs> all right. Describe. Sorry. Okay. I'll start again. It's sorry if you're listening, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send this to him, okay? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a 2009 The Oregonian article titled Push to Name a State Berry Stars Rhubarb described how farmer Larry Doig, not a woman smoking crack cocaine in a hotel room, successfully derailed the campaign to have what locally grown cultivar named as Oregon's official state berry. Mm, wow. So not a woman smoking crack cocaine in a hotel room. I'm trying to think is there... If that means anything, if there's some berry is that's... Berry not... berry? Is that like a Marion Berry reference? Marion oh, Berry. Marion Berry. There's the Marion Berry, of course. Yeah. That's... Boom. Thanks. <laughs> We're going to go with Marion Berry. <laughs> yes. Uh, Marion Berry famously caught under on surveillance uh, <laughs> hotel room with a woman, not his wife, uh, causing him to utter the immortal phrase, bitch set me up. No actual relation to Oregon's most popular blackberry cultivar, but they do share the name Marion Berry. Mm. All right, so now Jason and Michael trying to steal from Andy. What brief phrase commonly employed by internet trolls was popularly introduced by the rapper Cameron during a 2003 interview with Bill O'Reilly? Hmm. Um, so what's a troll? common troll phrase? I don't spend enough time on internet message boards. I mean, this is back in 2003. This is the very yeah, early so days. Yeah, so it's an early internet troll wow. phrase. Um, so, so a little too early for OK Boomer. Or <laughs> delete your account. <laughs> um, 2003. Drawing a blank here. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm not coming up with anything particularly exciting. Well, Cameron on Bill O'Reilly. Would it be something related to hip-hop or perhaps? Um, world star? <laughs> Well, sorry. Um, I'm not coming up with anything better. Is there a time limit on these questions? I reserve the right to introduce a time limit if the pace starts flying, but if anything, okay. this okay. this pace has been much faster than any previous episode. Right. Yeah, I, I have no clue. I, I can't come up with any guess. 2003 phrases that just sound, you know, uh, it's too early for anything that, that that's actually funny. Right. Can <laughs> Like, uh, boom goes the dynamite. Yeah. Uh, or like, uh, uh, something, something, what would, what would rappers have said back then? You know, trash rolls everything around me. Um, take to, to step in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go with yeah. that just because it's funny to watch you say it. All right, take to step in, locked in right there. Boom Goes Dynamite was coined by a young man named Brian Collins uh, as a play-by-play -play announcer, just blurting something out without thinking of what it meant. Oddly, that is the same way that Portland's nickname of Rip City was coined in the 70s. <laughs> by, uh, a man named Bill Shonley, who's a, a local TV icon. Um, yeah, anyway. He's the announcer for the uh, Blazers games, right? Right, and then does commercials for uh, standard appliances, I believe. <laughs> All right, so that's um, anyway, yeah. So uh, Andy, none of that is well, none of that's predictable. Well. <laughs> oh, well, I, I don't know either. Uh, how about go, uh, you mad, bro? I don't know. How about that? I know. Yes. All right. So the phrase that Cameron used was in fact just "you mad." Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> I, I think okay. that's. I yeah. think that's close enough. Wow. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't, whatever. Okay, whatever. Uh, I think you were that. That's a great guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's your guess is called, but as far as I'm concerned, that was, that's a correct answer. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, no, I was going with, uh, you know, the the thing that yeah, Marshawn Lynch texted, you know, yeah. it's the Marshawn Lynch meme from 2012. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. It's not the same. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you got to close enough. So at the end of that round, I believe, I'll, I'll recheck all the scores after this is over, but based on my quick tally, that actually pushed Andy into the lead with 25.0. Nice. And uh, right ahead of Jason at 24.0. Uh, and Mike having, in every episode, there's one person who gets stolen from the most, and it's not a reflection on your skill as a quizzer at all. But uh, Mike is at 7.0. I'm uh, brushing the tears away from my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, I'm giving you a hug. I'm giving you a hug, buddy, from remotely. In in every episode, there's been one person who just falls behind like that, and it's not at all their fault or a reflection on their lack of skill or anything. Jacob Meyer lost, and I think next to Steve Perry and Yogesh, he's probably the best quizzer on the planet. So Yeah, and he lost twice, in fact. <laughs> All right, so now we are moving into the final round. I'm a bit ahead of schedule even, but that's okay. Bonus round. Making all other previous rounds completely. <laughs> 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 the score here. All right, so now we're moving up to six points for a steal, five points for a specialist question, and three points for a bonus. And each of you will get three target questions. So we'll start with Michael and Andy trying to steal from Jason. This question has a lot of information, so listen closely. Erica Christensen in one episode of Law & Order SVU. April Grace in two episodes of Pretty Little Liars. Kurt Wood Smith in three episodes of Medium. And Harry Lennox in nearly 150 episodes of The Blacklist. All of these actors in these shows have depicted characters with what specific occupation and what specific surname. Note that I have deliberately left out the most iconic TV character in this profession with this surname. (laughs) I, I, I have, I've got nothing. So like, so the most, okay. So, wow. Yeah, I think this is one of those, if I had like a half hour to ruminate about it, yeah. I might eventually come to the <laughs> No, this is one of those things, like, I'm going to have to, I, I'd have to Google this. I have no clue. Um, wow. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, so a specific occupation and a specific surname, but that's not the most iconic. Oh, Cooper? <laughs> I don't know. I have no clue. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah. I have no idea. It's a 150 episodes of something tremendously throughout the run of the blacklist, as opposed to the other shows where it's just a few episodes. Uh, so I, I've never seen the blacklist in my life. I mean, uh, so but I'm so I'm not totally sure what that's about. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, um, wow. Yeah, I, I do not know, Andy. I, yeah, I'm sorry. Let's say. Uh, Lawyer law. No, I, I. That's it. That's embarrassing. But I've, I've got nothing else. I have nothing. All right. So what, what are you going with for your answer? And is oh, let's go. Let's. The occupation is lawyer, and the surname is Smith. I don't know. All right. So that is a two-part answer. <laughs> those, that, those, those are words. <laughs> All right. Uh, I. I... The problem is that I know who the first couple of people are, and then the one from the blacklist, I can't picture who that is. There's so many people on the show who are FBI agents, and to be on 
that many episodes, you would basically have to either be an FBI agent, you would have to be one of the people working for Red, which could make you like a cleaner, which is just a, a very specific and weird sort of position, sort, sort of job. But I don't think someone like that was in 150 episodes. I'm going to go with FBI agent. And again, without knowing exactly what character I'm dealing with, it's hard to picture what the last name would be, but there is a Brennan, so let's try FBI agent and Brennan. All right, you're locking that in? I'm going to lock that in. So I'd like to, to kind of point out how the, one of the things I like about having people talk through the process of it is that, like, it shows that a lot of times people know more than they think they do. <laughs> so, I mean, even if you don't know too much about the blacklist, like I said, as long as you know it involves the FBI in some capacity, you can kind of, like, say, and so based on that, you know, just, again, with with question, if you don't know the answer, it sounds like you have to kind of pick a possibility and go with it, right? So if you anchored on FBI agent, which is a kind of occupation that would definitely show up in the other shows, which are all procedural right. thrillers, right? You you then you start to think who are the iconic FBI agents in TV, right? There's a Mulder, a Scully, right? There aren't aren't really too many other than that, and you have to think who has a common last name that might just show up randomly in a bunch of different shows. And, and then when you think of iconic FBI agents with a common last name, I'm genuinely surprised Andy didn't notice that he said it. Oh my, wait, what did I, do? oh no. <laughs> what was it? You said Cooper. Oh no. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm dick. <laughs> Gosh, okay, because I, yeah, Dale Cooper. Oh, I'm ticked. <laughs> So we both had half of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, hey, Erica Christian's character was actually called Lauren Cooper. No relation, I'm sure, to the Captain Tate recurring sketch character of that name. <laughs> That's a very amusing thought. Oh, you bothered. Yeah, but um, the others are all FBI agents with the surname Cooper, and none of them are, of course, Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, that was close. Was, yeah. Swing and a miss. Another uh, Law & Order tie-in on the next one. Jason and Andy are trying to steal from Michael. As described often on Law & Order, a Molyneux hearing is held to determine the admissibility of what kind of evidence in a criminal trial? Wow. A I've Mol- never heard Mol- of that. hearing. Hmm. Uh, so you, it could be something like a deathbed confession or a hearsay or... Uh, DNA, what what else could you like have to fight to get included? Um, something like that, yeah. Or just uh, it's uh, I don't know. I I I'm okay with yeah, Mala. No, I just I can't I can't, I can't place the name. But yeah, deathbed confession. I mean, why not? I don't know. I I have, I have nothing else. I have nothing else. I'm sorry. Cool. We'll lock in deathbed confession. Boom. <laughs> Michael. You know, this is something I probably should know, but uh, sadly, I'm drawing a blank here. Molyneux hearing. I, I don't know if this is named after a U.S. Supreme Court case or perhaps just a New York state case where law and order is often set. Wow. Okay. I'll take a, a few seconds to think here. Sure. Yeah, take your time. Hmm. No, we're out of it now, but one other thing occurred to me, if you can't get it, that it might be. Uh you know, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'm just going to say evidence of ineffectiveness of counsel. Mm, I like that. The other thing that just occurred to me is that it could be like to get a, a sealed, well, like from, from when someone was uh, uh, w- w- was under 18 to get their sealed records. To get them unsealed? Yeah. 
that, that does happen off on Law & Order. So it is, in fact, named after a, a New York state case mm. or a case that went to the New York Court of Appeals, which in New York state, somewhat confusingly, the Court of Appeals is higher than the Supreme Court. <laughs> uh, but the the precedent there is there are very similar laws or similar findings in many other state courts. And you, you often you'll hear lawyers talk about a Molyneux exception even outside of New York. So the Molyneux exception is basically the exceptions to the rule that evidence of prior unproven bad acts can't be introduced. Hmm. Right? So generally speaking, they're considered prejudicial, but there are certain exceptions under which they can be introduced, and a Molino hearing would allow the prosecution to argue that that kind of evidence should be admissible. Okay. All right, next one goes to Jason and Michael trying to steal from Andy. A 2015 538 article declared that Josh Decino's face might be, quote, the most reproduced one in human history. By what one word name do users of Twitch know Mr. Decino, or his face more specifically? What? 538, so it has to do with with elections? Politics. I mean, 538 is pretty broad, but that's just where I pulled the quote from. It's not particularly relevant to be Oh, okay. So then okay. it could be... So someone on Twitch, usually Twitch is gamers. So PewDiePie? Uh, nah, well... I, I'm trying to... Who else one is word. a one word? Yeah. Um, well, that's essentially... I'm, I don't know who else is like a famous twi- uh, Twitcher. <laughs> Yes. I don't even know if that's what you call someone who does but Twitch. Not being an 11 year old boy, yes. I... Darn. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way I can guess. That right. So if you, I mean, if, if you're both, I don't know if, you know, if all three of you are kind of stuck on it, I could give one hint that would narrow down the guessing possibilities. I mean, only if you're all okay I'll with that. It. I mean, yeah. Sure. Okay, so 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 Josh Cino claims that he took that name from a trickster figure in Japanese mythology, probably more familiar to you guys as a letter in the Greek alphabet. Well, we've got alpha. So we've got beta. Run through the gamut. Yep. That would also be a Japanese yeah. trickster deity. Anything, uh, anything related to the Norse trickster, like Loki or uh, not the Japanese trickster? Who would the Japanese trickster be? Um, God, uh, Ada, Iona, Kai. Uh, Kai sounds vaguely Asian. <laughs> I mean, your guess is as good as mine, so just pick a letter, I guess. If, yeah. We'll go with Kai. All right, Kai, that's not correct. Andy? I think it's Beta. Because that's that's the meme. That's you know the beta male. Is that it? <laughs> so basically, there's not a great explanation for why the icon of his face happened to become the one that was so popular and that 538 calls the most reproduced one in human history. Many of the coders at Justin.tv, which was the site that Twitch went off from, put their own, or sort of encoded their faces as uh, emoticons or icons. And there's no great explanation for why his was popular and that his face just had a kind of a smirking expression that uh, people just gravitated toward. But it is the most, uh, at least at that time, the most used icon on Twitch, and it was called Kappa. Ah, okay. And Kappa is a Japanese trickster deity. Apparently. I was not familiar. I, I also took that from the 538 article. Cool. I was not familiar with that particular uh, mythological figure. Nor I. Learn something new yeah. every day. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, not only was uh, Kappa the most popular icon, but the second most popular was, I think, Kappa Pride, which was basically just Kappa with a rainbow overlay. 
(laughs) (laughs) Now, okay, Michael and Andy trying to steal from Jason. All right. So the Colatz conjecture, it's known by several names, but most commonly the Colatz conjecture, it refers to the unproven statement that given enough iterations, a sequence generated by a certain basic algorithmic procedure will always reach one and then enter an infinite loop. So let's say I start my Colatz sequence with the seed of 40. The next item in the sequence would be 20, then 10, and then 5. What would the next number be? Wow. The Colatz, the Colatz, uh, well, I mean, two and a half. I mean, if we're going, if we're just uh, slicing things up, I, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that'd be the next in the sequence, but... Uh... Remember, this is the super hard round, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, hey, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, uh, yeah, I've never, heard of the, I've never heard of this algorithm, so I'm not sure. Um, Want us to go with that? Yeah, I do not know, so yeah, we could go with that. 2.5, yeah, locked. So, so with, again, as I said, this being super hard round, just continuing the geometric progression is extremely unlikely to be uh, all it takes to get the <laughs> And also, similarly, as I said, it will always reach one and then end for an infinite loop. Uh, so, again, dividing by two is that's not what's going to happen if you just keep dividing. So, yeah, that's uh, that's not correct. Jason? I, I've heard of the co-op sequence. I, I, I've never seen one drawn out. So it's hard for me to know exactly what, what, what one would be looking for as the next number in the sequence. Obviously not the geometric sequence. So other sequences that would go down in that similar regard. And if it's going to get towards one, then and then it's not a fractional number like that. I, it's, again, I, I can't figure out exactly what it would be, but why don't we go ahead and try four? So to reach one and then enter an infinite loop, right, it would have to start going back up and back down again. That's why it's sometimes called the hailstone sequence, because it reflects that sort of sinking and then coming back up and sinking again. So this is one of the most famous unproven statements in mathematics. Paul Erdos famously said that mathematics may not be ready for such problems as uh, proving it because no one has ever found a counterexample. So you basically, you start with any positive integer and then there's a very uh, basic algorithm. If it's even, divide by two. If it's odd, multiply by three. And oh, add that's one. right. Yeah. Yes. And then, so in this case, if you, if you do that to five, you'll get 16, 16, and then it will very quickly sink down eight, four, two, one, four, two, one, four, two, one, four, two, one. Oh, yes. That's uh, been too long, but yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. Long ago, back before we had smartphones to distract ourselves, uh, when I was <laughs> when I was a child, before I would just pick a any any random seed and then just mentally execute that algorithm and see how long it took me to get back to one. Probably. I am as good at mental math as I am. Nice. All right. So now Jason and Andy trying to steal from Michael. An 1871 song titled Reuben and X is theorized to be the reason that what common female name, which I've redacted replaced with X in that title, is often applied to variations on the Reuben sandwich that substitute another meat for corned beef. Um, okay, so... Reuben X. What, what is the X? What is the... Oh, wow. Uh, I'm trying to think. I've heard of, of, of like, uh, uh, Rachel's, Rachel sandwiches. Really? Seriously? I'll go with it. I mean, I, I have no idea. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, it's, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. We'll lock in Rachel. All right. Locking in. Uh, locking Rachel. it in. All right. And that is correct. The song was called Reuben and Rachel. 
I've never heard the song. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yes. it's one good word. I know. I mean, it's not actually proven where it comes from. That's theorized to be it. Because, but I was originally going to try and define the racial bias recipe, but it turns out that there's actually many different recipes. Some use pastrami, some turkey, even a few use chicken. So uh, I just stuck with the more general wording. A chicken Reuben sandwich. Why not? Hmm. Stolen uh, away again. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't have a, a food team bonus, but I'll give you a Rachel themed bonus. <laughs> <laughs> a ship called the Rachel is mentioned in the final sentence of what famous book? Um, final sentence. You know, I I don't think I'm gonna get it. I'll guess uh, the Old Man in the Sea. <laughs> All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely a book that's set at sea. Another, of course, famous novel set at sea. It ends with uh, a ship called the Rachel picking up the lone survivor of a shipwreck who is floating on top of a coffin. That book is Moby, Moby Dick. Dick. Oh, okay. Another could have. All right. So now Jason and Michael trying to steal from Andy. It's another complete the sequence, but kind of different. A single vertical line. Two vertical lines, one shorter than the other. Two vertical lines of equal height. What comes next in the sequence? Hmm. Is that like Adidas? I don't know what I'm... Uh, we got one vertical line, and then the same vertical with another shorter, and then two equally lengthy lines. Yeah, I don't So know. maybe one vertical, one shorter, a same vertical, another shorter... <laughs> It's not, I don't, know. I don't I, think it's, it's it, not, a, it's not, no, it's no. going to be either like something to do with baseball or something to do with vexology or something like that. But I mean, it's, I have no clue. Either. I don't know. What's the, so, so what's, I'm going to try three vertical lines. Guess is as good as mine. Three yeah. vertical lines. All right. Good. Uh, good guess. Andy? What was the, what was the question again? I'm sorry. I think I know it, but. Okay. A single vertical line. Two vertical lines, one shorter than the other. Two vertical lines of equal height. <laughs> what comes next in this sequence? It is uh, one vertical line and one horizontal line. This is the loss meme, isn't it? Is this loss? Yes, it is loss. Uh, <laughs> this is the increasingly abstract representations of <laughs> the famous loss comic strip from the Control-Alt-Delete webcomic. has become oh. one of the more popular yet inexplicable internet memes. Um, a, a friend of mine got a lost tramp stamp. I'm like, what? I mean, <laughs> wow, that's, that's commitment. <laughs> yeah, you could have spotted me that entire explanation, and I still wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> All right, so that is five points for Andy. All right, now um, Michael and Andy, we're entering the very last iteration. So each of you is going to get one remaining specialist question. Okay. All right. So now first, Michael and Andy trying to steal from Jason. The 20th episode of Quantum Leap is titled A Portrait for X, where X is the name of a guest character portrayed by Deborah Pratt, the wife of series creator Donald P. Belisario, who claims to hear the ghost of her dead husband calling out her name. What is that somewhat unusual first name? Wow. Donald Belisario. Um, well, do you have any guesses? <laughs> this, no, this is quite some time ago. I, I do not yeah. know. Um unusual female name an unusual first female name yeah hmm. keeping uh, in mind that while this is the super hard round the questions are meant to be hard i generally wouldn't write a question where the only way in was to remember the plot of a single right. episode of a show that's been off the air for decades and <laughs> not really rerun all that often 
There is another way in besides remembering the episode and its plot. Yeah. Um, Angelica. I, I have no idea. I'm so sorry. Got nothing. Uh, I, I, I would have had a total. I would have said Portia. But do, do it. Portia okay. sounds good to me. Okay. We'll right, lock in Portia. Portia. All right. Jason. <laughs> you know, I was never even a big fan of the show when it was on. So I, I'm not sure I have anything via direct knowledge using your your hint that there may be a backdoor way to get there uh i didn't really hear anything in the question itself but it seems like some extraneous knowledge of the show might be relevant so let's try bacula <laughs> <laughs> nice right. here we go so, all right so yeah thinking through kind of extraneous knowledge it is extraneous knowledge of of well of some shows would help you not a yeah. uh, quantum leap but Donald Buffett, in addition, you know, have created many shows. I think between 1980 and the present, there's been at least one show he created on the network primetime schedule in every year but one, I think. So it's going back even before I was born. Um, but many shows he's created and also created a bit of a dynasty. So he's been married four times. His his current wife is the mother of his stepson, Sean Murray, who plays Tim McGee, not Caitlin or Brian McGee, <laughs> uh, on, uh, on NCIS. And... In one episode, we saw, or a couple episodes, I think we saw Tim McGee's sister, who uh, was named Sarah McGee, and she was played by not Sean Murray's biological sister, but his stepsister, because they have different parents, but the daughter of Donald Belisario and Deborah Pratt, who was born about three years before that Quantum Leap episode aired, but her father used the name of his daughter in the title of the episode, and to give the main guest character, her name is Troyan Belisario. Oh, no wonder I see. And, and of course, that is Yogesh's famous crush. So <laughs> if I had put all of that together, I might have gotten there. Yeah, I knew Jason at least would be familiar with her as an actress. So uh, yes, there, there was Shame. there was a legitimate way in for him. Shame on me for not not putting all of that together. There was, in fact, a legitimate way for me to get there. All right. Okay. So Jason and Andy now trying to steal from Michael. All right. So the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine says that evidence obtained illegally, usually in contravention of the Fourth Amendment, is subject to the exclusionary rule, which means it can't be admitted in court. However, Wikipedia lists four major classes of exceptions under which such evidence may be admitted. Name any one of those exceptions, you can either give the common legal shorthand for it or just describe it in words. And if you're close, if you're anywhere close, I'll give it to you. Wow. Um, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, same. <laughs> uh, I, 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 uh, I'm not sure. I have no idea. Um, let's, let's try to think through it. When would you be able to use evidence that was potentially obtained through... Uh, illegal search and seizure or some kind of, um, yeah, if it were, eh, hmm. Mm, um, hmm. <sighs> hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm thinking, I'm working on it. Yeah, I mean, if, if someone died in the, I, I mean, I'm, I, not to go back to the same, you know, uh, horse that didn't work for us last time, but, you know, if there's some kind of deathbed scenario, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 that that's something, but um, 
You can definitely sort of common sense reason your way into this if you kind of think through the, the question again. When would evidence obtained via illegal search procedure be considered admissible? Um, if it could have been obtained any, if like plain sight, if it could have been obtained anyway. Ill illegal search and seizure. Um, oh, I'm sorry, man. I have nothing. I, I, I can't even like, I can't even like come up with a... It's can't part of anything. Part of uh, like a high crime and misdemeanors or something that would have it. Yeah, have it. it's just, uh, so, oh. There are four of them, too. I'm pissed. <laughs> I mean, come up with this. But yeah, I'm sorry, man. You got nothing. Okay, so should we just try? Uh, let's see, let's see. Okay. I, I would say let's, if we've got nothing, let's either throw out in plain yeah. sight uh high crimes misdemeanors or in sight let's go in plain sight we'll go with it was in plain sight anyway <laughs> i'm sorry all right i'll keep quiet about that since we're basically at the end of the game i'll make a special exception for michael i'll give you five points for each one nice uh, okay nice. I, i'm quite surprised to hear four distinct sub categories of exception but the only one right now that comes to mind is kind of a doctrine of eventual discovery if the police by other independent means would have eventually led to the discovery of whatever's in question then that would be That's an exception kind of what we were going for <laughs> yeah. in plain sight. Well, no, it, plain sight is completely different from eventual right. discovery yeah but that that would be my only guess locked in so in plain sight, yeah, I would refer to how you execute the warrant, whereas Fruit of the Poisonous Tree would say that if the warrant is bad, anything you obtain through it in plain sight or otherwise would uh, have to be thrown out. And the doctrine, the one I think most commonly seen like on Law and Order and so on to get around it is called Inevitable Discovery. Yeah. It's exactly ah. what Michael said. Nice. Do any of you want to take a, a shot at any of the others? No. <laughs> <laughs> The least controversial, other than inevitable discovery, was the independent sources doctrine. Basically, if you can obtain the evidence through an independent, untainted source, it's admissible. The other two are a bit more controversial. There's the attenuation doctrine. So the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine basically says that if the way you obtained anything was illegal, anything descended from that gets thrown out entirely. The attenuation doctrine counters that by saying, well, if you can kind of see, if there's more of an attenuated chain of cause and effect between the evidence yeah. and the illegal act, you can kind of get around it. Um, and the fourth one, also very controversial, and not every jurisdiction holds this, but it's called the good faith exception. It basically says if the warrant was executed in good faith by authorities, the evidence can still be used. Yep. It's a bit wishy-washy, but it is. Oh, and now the final question. All right, Jason and Michael trying to steal from Andy. I'll start this one with my own biography. In 1998, I entered the Illinois Mathematics and Science Academy. Had I chosen to attend the previous year when I was also admitted, one of my classmates would have been a young African-American man named Adam Bonner. By what name is Mr. Bonner known to the world at large today? Wow. 1987, black male. And, and if, you, if you want to help them, Andy, you can, you can reveal what uh, one of your categories is, and that will help them narrow down their search. Oh, well, so world capitals, memes, and the Seattle Mariners. So it's got to be a meme person. Okay. Uh, could he be the, like, the hot, the hot felon guy? <laughs> really? I, I don't know. This I don't know. 
Is that a big deal? I don't know. I mean, I know a Robert Bonner, but that's not relevant. <laughs> um, I can't think of who would be in a, like Andy said, it's got to be a meme. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for it to be a baseball character or <laughs> very, very impressed if somehow this Yogesh went to college with a world capital. This is my friend Porto Novo. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so what was, what was the name of, what, what did, I can't think of anybody right now except for Hot Felon, the, 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 the guy with the, the, the mugshot, or what, what, what did, what did they call him, the sexy mugshot, or what, what was his, what was his go-to name? No, I think, like, Hot Felon, something like that, so. Okay, uh, we'll okay. try Hot Felon. <laughs> Hot Felon, all right, uh, Andy? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know this either, um. Let's go with uh, the guy tapping his head. See, you know, yeah, I, I, I have nothing. I literally have nothing. All right. Actually, it looks like if Jason had gotten that, that would have been the first game to end on an exact tie. Oh. None of you got any tiebreakers right, so it would have been a double tie. But, um, yeah, young uh, Ackerman now, I guess, slightly older than me, so not really that young anymore, mm. but uh, a big presence on the Internet for many years in meme culture. He goes by the name... Tay Zonde. Oh! Tay Zonde? I, I moved my head away. He moves away from me. Oh, there we go. Oh, interesting. I, I wonder how he went from Adam Bonner to Tay Zonde. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like when people move to become famous and they try to make their names a little bit more pronounceable. You don't often see it go the <laughs> other direction. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's guess it's not that surprising in retrospect that Tezande is not his birth name. True. But, I would uh, never have guessed it was Adam. <laughs> yeah, Adam Bonner. Differently and spelled, then, but pronounced the same way as the short-serving UK Prime Minister Bonner Law, whose name is much more fun to say as Bonner Law. <laughs> So if you had started uh, there a year earlier, you could have been featured in the video. Right, possibly. Yeah. I have many mutual Facebook friends with him. All right, so the final scores, again, based on my uh, quick note card jotting down, are, I almost said Adam. Tayson Day has zero points. I just wrote down J-M-A, and I was like, A name, Adam. Oh, wait, no, that's for a different reason. Uh, Andy is at... 36.0 points, Jason at 30.0 points, and Michael at 12.0 points. Wow. Um, Congrats, Andy. That was that was a good no, game. This was, this was an amazing game. Thank you. I, I'm so happy to even be on this. It was an honor to be on this show. Thank you. I am uh, feeling devastated <laughs> and yet in front of the same time. It has also been an honor for me to be here. All right. So, I, I mean, officially, like, we do the whole thing where um, you each get, like, you know, 30 seconds or so to say basically anything you want. And if it's not offensive or too long, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll keep it in. And, uh, we'll, all, we'll... I have, all I have to say are offensive things right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go in reverse order. So the lowest scoring person gets the comfort of having the last word. So I'll start with uh, Andy. You know, uh, it was wonderful being on the show. Take care, y'all. Jason, Michael. It's wonderful. Thank you, Yogesh, so much for having me on. And that's all I have to say. 
All right, Jason. Uh, I echo the sentiments of thanks. Uh, this was really fun. I'm glad we got to do this. Your question writing is impeccable as always. I'm mad at myself for not coming up with Troy and Belisario. Uh, I might have to uh, might have to tweet at her after this and 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 let her and uh, her husband Patrick J. Adams know that uh, I, I came up short. But other than that, uh, it, it was definitely a highlight, and hope hope to have the chance to to do more of it. Uh, sorry, sorry, Matt Jones couldn't be here i know he initially wanted to be part of it but uh, i'm sure he'll be on a future episode definitely yeah well i too would like to thank my fellow opponents and my hosts thank you very much for having us it was a lot of fun and you know in keeping with the theme of today i'd say everyone just offering some advice love thy neighbor uh say hi to your mother for me (laughs) and uh kiss kiss your father square on the lips and (laughs) have a nice day remember how to get around the fruit of the poisonous tree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this has been episode four of Recreational Thinking with Yogesh Routh. Thanks for listening.